We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Pack a Day Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. Another crazy edition of the Pack a Day Podcast as we still are trying to decompress from the fallout from Sunday's loss to the Cardinals and consummate uh, hitting the big red button in Mark Murphy's office and going completely nuclear on the Packers and the firing of head coach Mike McCarthy. Thanks for tuning in today. My name is Dan Connick. My partner in crime, as always, Chris Schimmel, joining me today. Uh, Chris, I um, I don't know. I had, I guess the, uh, if you want to call it um, the fortunate position, but at least I got I got the first bite with um, Jake Turner on Monday's post game podcast to uh, take our first shots at the news of uh, Mike McCarthy being fired. So I've gotten a lot of my take on it. Um, but your opinions, your takes, when you're sitting there, uh, first give, give me give me the initial reaction. Sunday night, you're sitting there post game, and the news comes down that Mike McCarthy's been fired. What's your initial reaction to it? My first reaction was, of course, I was shocked that the Packers of all you know Packers, this traditional team, you know, would fire him midway through the season because you know it reminded me of Mike Sherman when he was fired, but he still actually wrote out the rest of the year. You know, I remember the Packers were two and ten at one point that year. They mm-hmm. finished four twelve, and then they waited to fire them. And so I really thought that the Packers were going to wait till the end of the year. But then after sitting back, thinking it's probably a smart idea now that they have the rest of the season, they have they basically had a month head start to uh, to look at new coaches. But of course, I was shocked because you know I was in sixth grade when uh, Mike McCarthy was hired as head coach, and it, it feels like almost like my entire. Uh, 
time rooting for the Packers has been McCarthy. I, I was really young when Sherman was head coach, but it, it just, it's going to feel, it's just going to be a totally different experience. And at first, you know, I was all for it. Like, yes, finally they got rid of McCarthy, but after a while it, it didn't feel as good as I thought it was, you know, because of course you think, you know, you, somebody from who's had experience getting let go of a job before, you know, it's the worst feeling in the world. And, you know, you have to thank McCarthy for everything that he's done for the Packers and how what he did for the community of Green Bay. So I feel like sometimes people take a step back and look at the entire picture first. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, especially about that. It, you know, I think a lot of times we get caught up in, you know, the idea of just the, the firing of the head coach as kind of a, you know, it's we separate that, but then when it actually happens and you kind of think about, you know, the, the fault, the actual fallout and reality of it. It's kind of a humbling experience when you think about it, especially like what you said for, you know, myself too. I mean, uh, hired in 2006, I was uh, a sophomore in high school. And so, you know, I remember the firing of, uh, uh, of Mike Sherman and, um, and then, yeah, basically when I, when I've actually grown up and I I like what Ross said, you know, became an intelligent football fan and really understood like what was going on in not just the, my game that I was watching, but like around the NFL, you know, that was Mike McCarthy. That was the Mike McCarthy era. And we basically grew up as fans with Mike McCarthy and this Aaron Rodgers duo. And to see it end like that is kind of a, uh, 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 a humbling experience, I guess, if you want to, if you want to call it that. Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, the right decision to be made, as you kind of mentioned, you know, it, it needed to happen. It, it run its course. I, I personally think I, I have heard this before uh, in the national media that it was kind of disrespectful to Mike McCarthy. I don't agree. I kind of said this on our, the Monday podcast was, you know, send him out now. And he doesn't have to stick around for the next four weeks with Mark Murphy, Brian Gutekunst. Breathing down his neck, yeah. Right. Knowing that he's making the decision already in their minds that he's going to be fired and having to sit there for four weeks and just wonder and think about what might happen. And, of course, the Packers losing to probably the worst team in the league and then add in all that extra pressure, knowing you're going to get fired at the end of the year and playing better opponents. That's just a recipe for disaster. So, and one question I have for you is, you know, when Mike Holmgren left, there was some bad blood, I feel, when he left to go to Seattle. And, of course, now we look back and we love Mike Holmgren. Do you think in 10 years people are going to look back, as, as, especially if Rodgers and the Packers win another Super Bowl, people will look back at Mike McCarthy era and think of it more positively? I think eventually. I think it's going to be interesting because I think Mike Holmgren was a little bit more – I don't know, like the, the, I think they, I think he kind of gets remembered alongside Brett Favre and, you know, outside of those last couple of years in uh, Minnesota and New York, everyone loves Brett Favre. And, you know, you just, I always think back to, you know, all of the, uh, the mic'd up sound bits of between him and Brett Favre. And, you know, they seem to actually like really enjoy each other. Have you ever seen a moment between Brett Fa- or uh, excuse me Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy where it seemed like they actually kind of liked each other? 
Well, you yeah, know, that's the thing, because, you know, Favre and Rodgers, to me, they, they have such different personalities. Favre is the guy you want to hear mic'd up. He's he's like John Belushi from Animal House. You know, he's right. a character. Rodgers is, you see him on the sidelines, you know, he's not really, you know, rallying his teammates. He's usually just sitting down, not really doing much. So, yeah, you don't really see McCarthy and Rodgers really talking unless it's on the field during a timeout or when they're, you know, exchanging some words to one another. Right. So, yeah, it is a little different. And yeah, I, so I, I just I hope that if the Packers do win another Super Bowl, people will look back on the McCarthy era as something positive, at least from you know when he came in in 2006 through 2014, at least where the the glory days. These last few years have been starting in 2015. I feel is really when mm-hmm. it started to unravel. I would agree. Um, looking ahead, though to the future now. I mean, Mike McCarthy, for what he's done, it's all in the past now at this point. So looking into the future, obviously there's a whole slew of uh, head coaching candidates. You know, people have touched on it before, but um, your quick list or or people that you're interested in, people that uh, you've got your eye on for the position, um, who do you have? Well, you know, it was a couple days ago. I was at the mall in Barnes & Noble for Christmas shopping. And I'm, I'm looking at all the different sport books, and there was one I saw, and it was the, the quarterback whisperer, and it was Bruce Arians talking about his time with Roethlisberger, with, with, with Manning, and with Andrew Luck. And I thought to myself, you know, what if the Packers brought him back? Because he, he, there was rumors about him going to Cleveland, but that was before this whole Packer thing. So I feel that if McCarthy possibly goes to Cleveland, like the rumors say, maybe possibly get Bruce Arians in because it doesn't need to be, you know, a – five-year five-year contract but I, I really feel Bruce Arians is is one on my on my list how about you I don't I'm not sure about Bruce Arians personally and I relate this back to something that is familiar for me here too in Detroit when they uh, let uh, Jim Leland go and they transitioned into um, into their next manager and now for some reason the Brad Ausmus, uh, they transitioned to the Brad Ausmus and, and that obviously wasn't working. And then they go now to Ron Gardenhire, an older guy who probably could have done better with an older team like they had. And so I just wonder if maybe Bruce Arians is sort of this Ron Gardenhire where maybe he's coming into a situation where he could have done a lot more or a lot better with a roster like they had maybe three or four years ago when you could argue that the Ted Thompson, Mike McCarthy era was starting to crumble a little bit. And not to say that you should have made the decision back then, but I think he might've fit better with a roster back then. I don't know how he fits in now with a team full of young guys. I don't know if, I don't know if he has the fight or the energy to put that kind of in, which is why I, I, sorry. To be patient, you mean? To really right, to be, pa- to be patient. I mean, you know, does does he really have the drive to go in and rebuild this team? Yeah, like it's, it's a long investment. Need. You know, does he want to get his return right away, or is he going to have to be a couple of years? So it's really, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, I feel the same way would be the same thing with Cleveland when True. he goes there too. And, then, and I know that they talked about Josh McDaniels, about him. I, I told you, mm-hmm. I think, before the podcast that I don't – I don't trust the guy fully. I don't think any team do. You really need to take that with a grain of salt. And not to mention, you know, I read an article about Rogers and people talk about McCarthy's, you know, his offense is too simplistic. Mm -hmm. And some, 
some people have been saying that Rodgers likes it that way. It's easier to improvise so he can run, you know, his uh, backyard football. And so I'm wondering, you know, if they get a guy like Josh McDaniels or Bruce Arians who say, this is the system, you run it. No more of this improvising stuff. That's literally like the last, last, last resort. Do you think Rodgers would be able to be compatible with them? Well, see, and that's the thing. You've got to find, and we'll kind of get into this when we hit our main topic about who needs to be involved in this decision, but you've got to find somebody that Aaron Rodgers is going to respect enough to listen to no. Um, you know, you can tell him no all you want, just like Mike McCarthy kind of did, but if he doesn't respect the decision or respect the offense that he's running in, he's not going to, you know, it, it really doesn't matter you know, what kind of offense they decide to run or whatever. If Aaron Rodgers goes out and does his own thing, then we then that's, you know, a real issue. And that, that's why I, I look at um, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. I know his name has come up uh, in the past is Eric Benamy. Um Coaching under Andy Reid, the last two offensive coordinators for Andy Reid, Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson, who have both gone on and done extremely good things with the offenses that they've run in uh, Chicago and Philadelphia, obviously. Yeah, um, uh, Mike, that's the one thing that people have been saying is that it's so skeptical when you take a coordinator from, you know, like an Andy Reid or a Sean Payton because they're not the ones calling the plays. You know, it's so is it whose offense is it really? So that's that's uh, one thing people are skeptical about. But I understand because Doug, Doug Peterson is a great example. You saw what he did last year with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then Matt Nagy now in Chicago, you know, everyone is speaking uh, volumes for what he's doing. And I think having the experience – of I, I, who knows if this is true, but this is what I just think. He's he's offensive corner right now of one of the most explosive offenses in the league. And if you can go to Aaron Rodgers and say, "Look what I did with a, a rookie quarterback, uh, not a rookie, but a, a very young quarterback like this," and these offensive weapons, this is let's tu- let's turn you into this. I know what made. Um, Patrick Mahomes successful in, in Kansas City. Let's do it here, you know. And I think Aaron Rodgers would be open to that because, kind of like what you mentioned, you know, it's more of that backyard style football. And if you put Aaron Rodgers in that kind of system, I think he flourishes when it's run correctly. Yeah, and uh, you know, and uh, one thing I also wanted to ask is uh, Joe Philbin, guy who's coming in to uh-huh. take over the head coaching duties. I know it's a long shot, especially given the fact that they just lost to the Cardinals, who I thought was the worst team in the league. If Philbin somehow turns this around, and let's say they win two of their last four games, do you think he should be considered or no? I don't. I really don't. What if they they went out, they win the rest of the games? Even then you wouldn't? No, I, for me, for me, the next four seed, the next four games are they're they're basically just it's a new preseason for me and <laughs> i i don't i don't see i don't see the benefit of bringing a guy in that was clearly i think not helping the offense and didn't do very well at his one head coaching stint in Miami. Oh yeah, because th- there was a lot of hype when he he was coming right. back. Packers people are thinking awesome they're gonna he was their coordinator during that 2011 season when they won the Super Bowl. And like I said, it doesn't matter if your philosophy is the same. And that also brings up to this. Is it because McCarthy has such a grasp on the offense that Philbin didn't get his his fair share of say? And do you think now that he's going to be calling the play, this might 
if they start lighting it up, because the Falcons, they're, they're playing next week, is one of the worst defenses in the league. They're not in the top 20 in any team category on defense. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's why I'll, I'll give you the credit of it. Yeah, it is interesting to see what is going to happen the next four games from a standpoint of just to see, you know, how much Joe Philbin can do with this offense. You know, what what does uh, what did what is this going to show me? You know, how much he control he actually had over the offense. Um, but for me personally, I just don't. He's so he just seems like a. And I don't mean this. I don't mean this to be a joke. A smaller version of Mike McCarthy. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I'm just going to flat out say this. Sorry if this people don't like this, but whenever I see him, I think of Mr. Mackey from South Park. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> he looks. I mean, he looks like a pilgrim. He looks like a pilgrim, like somebody that would be in the background of a of a Thanksgiving play. Uh, he there. He's just there. And I really, I'm not trying to be offensive to him, but yeah, I'm not either. He, he seems to me he's always he's going to be a coordinator. He's going to be the sidekick. He's not going to be the guy up front. Right, right, exactly. Right. So I feel if they bring in a new head coach, I feel that they should keep him as offensive coordinator, and then the head coach can possibly go and get his own guy after a year or not. But the offensive coordinator can help him get more comfortable in uh, with the team. Well, so overall here, our, our, our big topic today, the decision obviously isn't being made by you or I or anyone else on the Packer Day podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. The owners of the Packer stock do, yeah. not, do not get a vote. <laughs> um, Thank God for that, so, actually. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Imagine, oh, I, I, you've oh, been Brett, to a shareholders Favre, meeting, Favre correctly. Brett voted as the next head coach. <laughs> Donald Driver would be, the, would be his assistant, yeah. There would be at least... 100 votes for Ray Nitschke. I guarantee you, somebody <laughs> dead would get 100 votes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but so obviously the decision is up to um, Mark Murphy and to a certain extent, you know, Brian Gutekunst. And I, that's what we really have to focus on is this dynamic between the decision makers. Um, when he came in at the start of the season, it was uh, – revealed that Brian Gutekunst wasn't in the position of really the full GM position of being able to make coaching decisions like that. That was being left up to Mark Murphy and that coach and the GM were both reporting to Mark Murphy, the CEO. Um, What is your take on this, Chris? Who, what should the split be between Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst? If you're on Shark Tank, how much equity should each of these two have in the future stock of the Packers? Um, well, let me just ask you this one question because I'm not 100% sure. When in 2005 mm-hmm. or 2006, when, when Mike McCarthy was hired, did Ted right. Thompson have 100% say? Did he have full control? Because that's what I'm trying to almost compare it to, you know? Right. I um, I honestly I, I don't know, but I would assume – Ted Thompson probably has that control because Ted Thompson theoretically had the power to fire and hire Mike McCarthy as the head coach, because that was kind of that striking difference between Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekunst was that Brian was reporting to Mark. Right. So for that, I feel I like Brian Gutekunst because so far I, I liked what he's done with the team so far in his first year. 
And people were skeptical even going into this year, the whole triumvirate of him, McCarthy, and Godekunz, people not really even being sure what each role specifically was. So that's what I just felt like it's going to cause problems in the future. So I feel this, hopefully this whole situation kind of settles things out. But I, I really hope that, that Gutekunst has a, a much more of a say than when people have been talking about. That's just my opinion. How about yeah. you? I would agree. Um, I hope that he gets the say in it. I don't know. I, I And here's, here's something I read today over on Acme Packing Company. Uh, put out a piece about this and I, I really like the idea of this and it made me kind of think so Brian Gutekunst coming into what will be his second season and really kind of his first real off season as uh as the general manager and so it's a pretty big moment for him this is basically his career defining moment is finding the next head coach and if he doesn't do that well you know, if he makes the wrong decision in the next couple of years, that can really fall down on him hard and hamper his ability to take the team into the future. In a situation like this where it's ultimately Mark Murphy's decision, does that kind of offer Brian Gutekunst a bit of a shield, protecting him where Mark Murphy can take the blame if a coaching decision goes poorly? I, I, get, what you're, I get what you're saying. And uh, but Gutekunst, let's say that Mark Murphy does do the hire, and he has a, he gets a terrible coach, and it all goes to hell. And Gutekunst doesn't take any of the blame. However, would you rather have? Uh, but then, if the GM does go out and get his own coach, then we actually know a little bit more about the GM because people still don't know a whole lot about Gutekunst. So I feel like this is going to be really important to him. So now everybody knows what this GM is made of because, you know, Ted Thompson, he hired McCarthy. A lot of people are shocked when he uh, shocked when he hired him. But Ted Thompson said, this is the guy I feel I'll have the best relationship with. And so I feel that you're going to have to have a great relationship between the GM and the head coach. And if the, and if Mark Murphy hires him, I feel that it's not going to be, it might not be as great of a relationship. You know, I feel like, the GM should have much more of a say because the GM and the coach are supposed to be linked at the hip. That's just, I would, I mean, I would, I would agree in a typical, in a typical situation where the GM is in that position of hiring and firing. Right. But now, but now you've got them basically as coworkers where, you know, their success is basically they're linked, but in a sort of, in, in a different way. If mm-hmm. you catch my drift, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, that's why this is all confusing. like they like they can like they can they can be successful and also kind of struggle independently of each other, which I think gives them a little bit more of leeway if there's some growing pains that uh, that you know come along the way, which inevitably probably will happen. Yeah, but just running right off the top of your head, though, whose judgment are, are you more confident with, Mark Murphy or Goodikunst? Well, see, that's the question too. Is you know, we uh, how many decisions have we seen Brian Gutekunst make so far? Exactly. Made, that's why he made a couple right. of trades at the deadline. He's had one draft. So exactly, and at know, the same time, so you don't know that much about Gutekunst. Yeah. And at the same time, Mark Murphy. I feel like he should have gotten rid of Ted Thompson 
couple of years ago. That's just my opinion. So I'm thinking Mark Murphy was too hesitant to get rid of Thompson. Some said McCarthy should have been gone a couple of years ago. Seems like Murphy is just a little too hesitant to pull the trigger sometimes. So some people could say, so you don't know a whole lot about good against and Overall, I think Murphy's been too hesitant. So that's why this is such a difficult situation, which is another reason why I'm glad that they probably got rid of McCarthy so they got a a month head start to get going on this. Another reason why I'm happy about that. Yeah, I agree. Because now, yeah, like you said, you've got the head start over everybody to to start making calls and and, and whatnot. Um, The third part of this is Aaron Rodgers – he fits in this somewhere. How much? And they said that, uh, you know, he he'll be. They were kind of uh, vague about how much involvement he would have in it, but mm-hmm. how much say does he get from you, Chris? How much say does Aaron Rodgers have in the new head coach position? Oh, that that's what's so difficult because, of course, you you compare it to others. Like, how much did? Peyton Manning have when it came to when they cold tired Tony Dungy, you know, all that stuff. So it, it's very, uh, very difficult to, to think about that. Or uh, 49ers when uh, Bill Walsh retired, did Joe Montana have a, a huge say in the next coach? And of course it's going to be, uh, if you're going to go with an offensive minded coach, I feel Rogers does need to have some say, because of course he's probably going to be playing another six, seven years. So he does have some say, of course, but I don't think, of course, he's going to have final, of course, final, final decision making. So, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I don't think there's any way that they give him a final, a final say on this. But I mean, you did just make him the highest paid offensive player yeah. in the history of the league. They're going to have to have at least some say. They might, you know, pass off. What's your opinion on this? What's your opinion on that? And then that's it. They're right. Say like. Would you rather have him? I, I feel yeah. like I feel like Aaron Rodgers gets used more as a tiebreaker, almost. You know, if we're, if you're between two people, let's get Aaron's opinion. Who does he Who does he feel more comfortable with? So kind let's of like uh, talk to them. You know, what? Oh let's God. have him sit down. You know what well, I mean? This is, uh, of course, a Green Bay Packer football sport politics so kind of like in the senate if it's 50 50 the vice president gets a tie-breaking vote yeah i think something like that but if it's murphy and goodikens 50 50 rogers gets the gets the breaking vote <laughs> i i don't know if i don't know if i use him as like i no. wouldn't say if I, I use him as like mark murphy says this person uh brian goodikens says this person aaron Rodgers makes the final decision you know what i mean yeah, but if, no if, way a quarterback if, can have that right if if mark murphy and brian are are stuck on two people together that they don't know which one they would choose. I think using Aaron Rodgers' opinion on that would be a nice tiebreaker uh, to have. Um, you, uh, Chris, you kind of wanted to mention the last the last four games of the season too. I'll look ahead at the last schedule. Um, we're obviously looking to see what Joe Philbin can do with this offense. I think too. Um, I want to see what some of these other uh, rookies and players that are kind of still trying to work themselves into the team, especially on defense can do, but uh, your take on the last four games here, Chris uh, wins losses. Where does it all end up? This is, this has to be throughout my life has to be the hardest Packer team to scout or to scout opponents. Because if you looked at the last couple of games, this Cardinals game was supposed to be the easiest one of them all. Right. People thought this is a guaranteed win. 
the, the, the Cardinals were near the bottom of the league in almost every statistical category on both sides of the ball. And now you're thinking, well, look at the Falcons. They're, they have an absolute terrible defense. They're in the top 20 in zero categories. But at the same time, neither were the Cardinals. So it's like, what are you going to get? That's why these last four games are going to be so hard to, to make game predictions. And I know this is hard to say. I'm not being a pessimist, being a realist. And I can totally see the Packers absolutely flopping and losing every game the rest of the year. Kind of reminds me of uh, uh, the Cleveland Browns in 1995 when the owner told them we're moving to Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And that killed the team's hopes and they lost every game the rest of the year. I could see that possibly happening to this Packer team. Do you? For sure. I honestly, I think the best chance of them winning is this week against Atlanta Same. when you get maybe a, a dead cat bounce kind of game uh, against the Falcons, you know, um, and the you Jets, rock, and in, 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 in three games, you have the Jets, the Jets suck, but guess what? It's away. Packers can't win away from Lambeau this year. So no games are given, no matter how bad. I'm, if you lose to the Cardinals this year, nothing's a given. <laughs> right, exactly. No, absolutely nothing will surprise me the rest of it. They could tie the next four games, and I wouldn't be surprised in the no. slightest <laughs> that it would happen. Um, uh, Chris, final thoughts. Um, uh, how about your favorite – do you have a favorite Mike McCarthy memory before we sign off? Is, is there a moment that sticks out to you? Favorite Mike McCarthy memory – course two of them come to my mind that I really like one of course is when he held a Lombardi trophy after winning the Super Bowl in Dallas and then my second one's going to be kind of a a surprise it's after the Packers lost to the Patriots in 2010 when Packers were with Matt Flynn Rodgers was out with the concussion and they gave the Patriots a run for their money and they lost 31-27 at the end of the game during the press conference McCarthy said we're nobody's underdog and I love that. I thought that's my coach, a guy like that who does, who takes crap from nobody, where nobody's underdog. And that was like when I was proud that McCarthy was the head coach of the Packers. So that's that's up there for me. I would agree. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. That's my really? all-time favorite Mike McCarthy moment because there's definitely been a couple times in heated arguments about this team or whatever that I have shouted, "We're nobody's damn underdog!" Like you know <laughs> what I mean? Like that. That was for me. For me, that was on par with Mike Sherman chasing down Warren Sapp <laughs> after the game. That that was that was his, that was his Warren Warren uh, Warren Sapp moment. <laughs> the only difference is Mike McCarthy ended up backing that up with the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, make sure that uh, you follow us as we uh, go on the rest of the straight. It's going to be a fun. Uh, maybe I don't know, fun, but it, it's going to be an interesting next four games, an off season. So make sure you stick with us uh, here on Pack a Day Podcast. Make sure you uh, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast wherever you follow us. You can find us pretty much anywhere: Cheesehead TV, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere uh, you possibly can. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter as well at Pack a Day Podcast, and both of us as well on uh, the social medias. I am DK all the way on Twitter. Uh, Chris, you are at Chris Schimmel. Uh, for my partner, Chris Schimmel, I am Dan Connick signing off for the Pack of Day podcast, uh, finishing off with uh, a Go Pack Go, and then also we're nobody's underdog. Go Pack Go, nobody's underdog. Osweiler steps back to an empty shotgun. Three receivers bunch right, two are split to the left. 
Backer showing blitz up the gut, snap over the head of Osweiler. It's up the grabs, and recovered by Green Bay. Kenny Clark all over it at the 30-yard line of the Packers. Adams goes wide to the left. Offset eye in the backfield, Rodgers straight back to throw. Looks, left out of the end zone, diving grab, touchdown, Devontae Adams. Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, who ducks in under center. They get motion from St. Brown to the left side. From the 29 of Green Bay, and here's a handoff up the middle. Big haul, straight ahead. Here's Aaron Jones, off to the races, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, down the left sideline, and he's out of bounds. Inside the 10 of the five-yard line of Miami. Aaron Jones with a first, 67 yards. Jimmy Graham wide to the right side. Three receivers bunched tight on the left. Aaron Jones on the left side of the quarterback, Aaron Rodgers in shotgun. And off Jones, picks his way off the right side, fights for the goal line, and did he get in? Yes, he did. Touchdown. Second down and nine from the 27 of Miami. Osweiler play action, deep drop, throws left side, intercepted. Down the right sideline for Sean Freeland inside the 20, and he's forked out of bounds. Freeland with his first interception for the Packers. Single safety high Miami. Soft coverage on the corner, snap to Rodgers on second down at 25. Lost right side, Pat Adams at the 5, cuts it back, end zone, high stepping, touchdown! Devontae Adams popped wide open, 26-yard touchdown catch, and it's 27-12 Green Bay. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game-changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.